0: This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, and welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is also brought to you by Vidyard the best platform for creating, managing, and optimizing your video content marketing. And the show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. The hosts of the show are Randy Frisch and Tyler Lessard. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. Now, here's Randy Tyler, and this week's special guest.
1: Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. In fact, a new... uh, season of content pros this is the brand new season and if you listened to the last episode of content pros you met my new co-host so i'm randy frisch from Uber Flip. i've been with you now for three seasons looking forward to the fourth season of content pros here with tyler lassard who's joining us as always now from vidyard tyler great to have you here and you know we're really excited to kick off this season together talking all about content with a lot of great content pros as we call the podcast These are content leaders and organizations and influencers in the content marketing space who are helping us understand what's trending on a week to week basis. Um, So Tyler, do you want to welcome in our, our first guest of the season here? Hey, yeah, welcome
2: uh, everybody. And Randy, thanks for uh, for having me again. I'm, I'm super excited to be on this season and super excited to kick it off with Claire Bird. Now, Claire is, um, I think, a very interesting content marketer. I'll let her share a little bit more about her background and how she came to be in the world of content and broader marketing. Uh, but I think it's a great story that uh, that actually may ring true for many of us in how we're thinking about the future of, of the kinds of people that we hire and the experiences we look for uh, and when uh, people are thinking about what makes great content. Um, I first met Claire when I had learned about a full feature length film she had uh, big hand in producing at a small b2b tech company uh, which is something we'll peel back on later but uh, with that uh, why don't I turn it over to uh, Claire to do a quick introduction of yourself. Welcome Claire.
3: Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Um, I'm Claire, I am very happy to be here, and I am currently working at a technology company called Twilio. Uh, Twilio lets humans talk to humans through uh, communications inside of their applications much easier than you can today. And I have joined to build some new kind of content programs for them.
2: Terrific. So, um, you know, why don't I why don't I kick off with, uh, with with one area that I'd love to to dive into with the audience here, and um, that's around uh, not your current employer Twilio, which I understand you're about six weeks in now at, at time of this podcast, yes. um, but you came from uh, a great company called Envision in the uh, design space. And you know, one of the reasons again that I was excited to to have you on this was uh, Envision's blog, which is something that actually I followed for quite a bit, and, and the folks in my own design. Team followed, and the uh, the Envision blog was you know, recognized by, by numerous folks, Forbes and HubSpot and others, as a, as a top blog in the industry for a number of years. And um, you know, I, I can see a lot of reasons why. But I'd love to hear your perspective as somebody who was uh, you know really instrumental in building out uh, what I think was a great content strategy and a great approach there uh, to how you looked at building that out within Envision and, and looking back, what did you do that made it so successful as a uh, as a part of the company?
3: Sure. I'm happy to talk on that topic. It's actually one of my favorites. Um, and I can't claim success individually here. I have to give a shout out to the rest of the Envision content team for being instrumental in building what we have, what we built mm-hmm. together. But I think that what differentiates the Envision blog from many other industry blogs is the actual approach before or the design of what we wanted to build before we actually started doing any work on the blog. Um, the goal was to create a differentiated content experience. Um, there was just the market was flooded with content about how to do design better and you know, six ways to make your sketch your sketch files more uh, well organized and a whole bunch of other topics that were super tactical, but no one would talk about design leadership and culture. Uh, including major media, we just struggled and kept throwing all of these amazing ideas up against the wall and just being told no over and over and over again, so we decided to do it ourselves. Um, we saw an opportunity to step completely away from our competition and have a completely different conversation with the marketplace and that 's what we wanted to do, and we didn 't want to do that alone because the the evolution of design as a practice is a thing that it flourishes from the people who are actually the end users, and so we wanted to represent. Them, And we wanted to represent the evolution of the industry at any given moment in time. And so the entire vision was to present a cross section of what was happening in the design industry, and what was trending, what was, what was interesting to people, and at any given point in time, and have it be represented by the people who are actually doing it. So uh, 95% or better of the Envision uh, blog content is all contributed by people from the community who have novel ideas or opinions about how they uh, want to see the design industry change and how they build their design teams, how they instill design culture into their organization, how they approach design thinking with people who are not uh, design literate and a whole host of other topics that no one really wanted to talk about, but now it's a super hot topic in the industry. And I feel that the Envision blog was very instrumental uh, in seeing that change happen.
2: So Claire, one of the things I find most interesting in that is that almost all of the content for your blog is coming from external sources, which I think is amazing um, and brings a real outside-in approach to the content, which I think is important. Uh, But something I know that I've always struggled with is how do you make that work? How do you get people involved? How do you get the right content? And how do you make sure that you're not having to sift through 100 blogs just to find one good piece of, of, of content for your site? So any tips on how you made that happen that others can learn from?
3: Absolutely. Um, I'd love to unpack this methodology for you. But first, got to brag a little bit. It's not just the blog <laughs> content. It's actually all of Envision's content is about 95% contributed, what? including webinars, e-courses, UI kits, the whole shebang. So, wow. uh this, this has, Actually, this methodology applies to all of that. So you can do the same thing with more than just a blog program. And that's why I wanted to brag a little bit. But uh, there are a couple things that when we were building this program, we wanted to shift. Um, I'd been involved you know, in building, trying to build contributed programs for a long time. And I always saw a lot of problems. So I tried to go in with the mindset of just taking those problems off the table. Uh, so one, you have to make people look really, really sexy. So, <laughs> so that was a uh, uh, job. Number one was to design a blog that was just beautiful. And people felt proud of being on beyond um, anything that they, that anything else that that was like our job. Number one, make them look really, really great. Uh, number two, let them write about what they want to write about. So many uh, contributed programs that I've been a part of have so many strict editorial guidelines and rules, and they actually like prescribe topics to you. That's not how we approach this at all. We're like, well, that's nonsense. No one is going to actually write about something that we want them to write about. We will empower them to write about the topics that they care about. So instead of having an editorial line, we put together a set, like a framework where we're like, okay, if your topic falls within design skills and methodology, design culture, and design leadership, we will publish it. And it could be Uh, we would happily contradict that point of view the next week. Um, We didn't feel like there needed to be any kind of sense of uh, like a stream of consciousness uh, around what we were were trying to do because we really wanted to represent a healthy cross-section of the design community. So we empowered people to write about what they wanted to. Um, The third thing was that we staffed differently than a normal content marketing team. Um, So we actually have people who will sit in a Google document and co-write with an author to make them uh, feel better about the direction that their piece is taking, and actually give them like a really great engagement layer with a real human that makes it feel like less, more like a partnership, and less like they're doing us a favor. Um, and we spend a lot of time with our writers to really give them uh, a deliverable or a final piece that they're really proud of. and And that's like a core tenet of the Envision Content Marketing Program is make great stuff. Uh, don't be gross. That's another one. And um, and so and then the last thing is that we did a lot of outbound work. This is not an easy thing. Like I feel like many people who set up a contributed program, um, set it up, tell the world that they're taking contribution, and then suddenly the, the pieces will just roll in. That is absolutely not the case. Right. Uh, we spent months and months and months going outbound, se- searching the internet high and low <laughs> for writers who we thought were really really great with something interesting to talk about, and gave them the opportunity to contribute to the blog, but also told them that they would be getting a custom, catered, unique experience with like, a beautiful final deliverable that we would do the absolute best that we could to get as many eyeballs on as possible. And we also even started uh, engaging syndicates so that when uh, Fast Company would pick up a blog, from like a blog post from the Envision blog, they got the byline. We didn't care if we got the byline. Um, we just wanted the links in the post, to be completely honest. And we wanted yeah. to expand the breadth of, uh, of where our content, like expand the footprint of our content. And we didn't really care if we got the credit because it wasn't ours to take. It was that person's credit to take. And we were just basically riding on their coattails right. and providing them a hype machine in which to, uh, to share their ideas with uh, the community that they really cared about.
2: Amazing. Um, uh, I'm taking some notes here myself. Uh, I love that approach. And, and for so many reasons, it becomes so much more authentic and so much more interesting. So um, well, well done on that. That's really
1: great. Yeah, Claire, I, I think that's so cool. And it's funny. I mean, we're one of the beauties of content pros is actually part of the Convince & Convert Network. So people who read the content on Convince & Convert, I I know they're actually in the midst of doing a very similar thing. I believe it's going to be coming out soon called Convince & Convert Corpse, which is going to be an opportunity for a whole bunch of self-selected um, content leaders to contribute posts to a very specific blog experience, and I and I love that idea of essentially creating a destination for all these experts. And you know, you know kudos to you for for having you know that that uh, approach and and being willing to you know share the platform in that way.
3: Hey Zoe. Hey, Kelly. Do you know what I love? Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, him, but also Netflix and how it always shows me what I'll love, a.k.a. all the murder mysteries. Ooh, or documentaries about puppies. I wish there was a way to do that with B2B content. And well, hold on to your pants. So you know Uberflip? It lets you create a better content journey for your readers. So I can let my readers binge my content while my sales team also sends it out to prospects? You sure can. <laughs> Amazing. How do I get it? Just head over to uberflip.com and request a demo.
1: I want to dig in though. I mean, there were so many layers, like it was like an onion of, of layers that you can dig in on that answer. But I, I'm going to start at the at the core one, the first one that you had, which was a beautiful place for content to live. I think is the mm-hmm. way you put it. Um, and and you know some people when I ask them this, they you know they're uncomfortable. But I feel given what Envision is, being all about design, that was naturally very important to the core values of what Envision is. So maybe what you can do is. Help us, you know, dissect and, you know, people can go to blog.envision.com as they're listening to this podcast and walk us down like just how you thought about the design of a a post as a template, you know, because it's very clean and, and there's, you know, very, it's very easy to read, which I love. Can you walk us through how that came together?
3: Sure. Um, well, I have to give props to the amazing design team at Envision. Um, everything that is on, on any Envision property is designed in house, which I think is different. And I think that that actually helps with the deep understanding of the, the values of the company to create this really consistent, uh, thoughtful brand experience that expresses the company's values. Um, so plus one to doing things in house. Uh, from the perspective of approaching the blog, we were speaking to designers. So we just took a design thinking approach. It's like, okay, how? what do designers want to, how do they want to read? Like, what is the problem we're trying to solve? We're trying to communicate to designers something that they don't know how to do yet around design leadership. What is the best format in which to do that? And so we ended up landing on this incredibly clean, no ads, no sidebars, uh, readable, mobile optimized experience, because we knew that these designers are probably on the bus and they're reading something or they're on their commute, they're probably not sitting at their desk at work. Um, and we did actually make sure that this, you know we backed this up with with facts, with true facts about how people engage with our content. but the uh, the hypothesis was was simply build the best solution for our audience. Um, and we couldn't we cannot stress the importance of good web, strategy uh and just readability and uh accessibility on with regard to like web best practices i would highly recommend all content people get comfortable and literate with what it is to design for the web like this is a really important thing especially if you uh if your audience is is technical um however even still a readable experience and and is going to do nothing but benefit you
1: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, Tyler, I'm interested for the three of us, like how many of us do not have a designer involved in almost any marketing campaign that goes out? I mean, just, yeah, quickly around the table. I think the graphic designer is essentially, you know, playing almost like a quarterback role very often.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and on our team, um, one of the things that I love, we've got a relatively small team, but we have in-house design, in-house content and in-house video. And you. You know, every, every project is a collaboration of those folks. And what's even more important that I've learned uh, and coming into it, I, I kind of missed this, um, is that they're all involved in so many of these projects from you know day one. Right. And, it, and, and they're, they're not being brought in after the fact. You know, the content writer doesn't figure out, here's what we want to say. Okay, designer, come on in and let's figure out how to lay it out. Um, mm-hmm. It's always collaborative amongst those folks so that the end product is optimized for the experience, not for the content. And that's something that I, I've, I've learned in my last couple of years here and really started to appreciate. And having an in house team enables you to do that, which is great.
1: At Twilio, I imagine that it's a much larger marketing team than you maybe had at Envision. Um, Assuming I'm right, and and I understand your role there is is more to oversee competitive marketing. How is that design resource allocated in an in a larger marketing org? Like, is it a shared resource? Does every department have their own? How do you how do you achieve that consistency six weeks in? Of course.
3: <laughs> well, so that that it, it is definitely different here than it is at Envision, um, and I am going. I shouldn't probably say this out loud, but I'm going to. I uh, am on the warpath a little bit to bring some of the deeply collaborative, cross-functional nature of the the teams I built at Envision to Twilio, at least with my own team as I build it out. Um, I want, well, in my opinion, the best experiences come from a confluence of different skills. So um, I will build teams that are cross-functional here. The status quo today is that we have a brand experience team with an excellent set of designers on it, and they are a shared resource for us, the marketing team, um, that translates uh, the needs from the marketing team into the the final products that we actually produce.
2: So while we're uh, on the topic of of, of shared resources and this kind of broader experience, um, let me shift gears into the video side. And, um, you know, I'm going to, and I'm, I apologize, I'm going to take you back in time to the uh, Envision days again. Um, but one of the things that got me really excited to, to connect with you originally, Claire, was what I had seen your team had done. And I imagine, again, this was a collaborative effort um, to produce a film called Design Disruptors. And um, from what I understand and from what I've read, uh, this was probably a pretty daring and bold initiative as a content team to not only create a great, you know, you know, it's one thing to create a, a, a big microsite with a great visual experience, but to actually go out and try to produce a film as a B2B brand, uh, I'm sure took uh, a lot of, um, uh, uh, well, I, I won't say it, but I'm sure it was a big challenge. So um, so maybe can we switch gears into that one and just share with the audience what, what you did there and, and kind of what your experience was and, uh, and a couple of kind of lessons learned from, from that project?
3: Sure. Um, big lesson learned. Video is not easy. <laughs> um, I, so the Design Disruptors project was literally my first project walking in the door. It took uh, 18 months from start to finish to produce and design all the, the branding and assets around it, and then to release it to market. Um, it The idea was actually like a kernel that our CEO had stumbled upon while he was talking to some really excellent design influencers in the space, and they were having a really interesting, robust conversation. And he just said, it's like, I wish I could just record this and put it on the internet for everybody to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that tiny little idea, this idea to build a, uh, a, a brand around and a film about the digital design process and how it's changing the landscape in the, in business was, was born. Um, it's, also, for us, was an opportunity again to step away from our, com- our competition. I'm, I will say that probably a, a bunch of times because that's what I think is the most powerful thing that you can do as a content organization. Um, no one had either couldn't see the value in or did not, was not brave enough or could not con- convince their executives to um, build a, a, to actually create a documentary about design. Um, there have been a bunch that were done independently, like Helvetica is a classic, you know, what is the, 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 uh, the meaning of Helvetica as a typeface and why is it so ubiquitous? Um, but no one had done anything about digital design, about the products that were changing the way that people interacted with people, with their, uh, people in their lives, with products in their lives, with literally how they lived their life and also the people behind that change. So, um, what we wanted to do was create this really incredible uh, source of truth for designers um, that was not an advertorial for Envision, but was a, a vision piece on what we wanted the world to be eventually, like how we wanted designers to be treated in their organizations, to surface the value of them in their organizations, and also show uh, people who are not necessarily design-focused today why they should be and how they could uh, access that superpower. Uh, within their own organizations, and Design Disruptors was the the result of that.
2: It's uh, it's an interesting story, and I think the one thing that I want to just pull on there, which seems to be a theme in what you've done from a content perspective, is um, you know it seems to be this really genuine passion for for th- Thought leadership, but I kind of hate to use that term because it comes with so much baggage, but it's really genuine, authentic, you know, stories from the community, which obviously were pulled into this film, which also seems to be the underpinning of your content strategy and your blog, um, which, you know, I think is just, it's something that I think more and more, you know, I think we all understand the importance of that, uh, but it's so much more difficult to, to really do and live up to. And, um, you know, I think it really requires a commitment organizationally to to do that and the right kinds of leaders and people. Um, so on, on that note, let me ask you about the kinds of people, the kinds of backgrounds um, that you're seeing to be important in modern marketing teams and in in content teams and in competitive marketing teams and and all the other areas that you're looking at. I mean, we talked about the importance of design, but you you yourself don't come from a traditional marketing background. Um, I'm hiring more and more people who come from non-traditional marketing backgrounds to to bring different perspectives. Mm But um, uh, I don't know if you have thoughts on that of like, what do you what do you think people should be looking for um, you know in t- the kinds of people they're bringing into their content teams to help usher in this this new wave?
3: That is a great question. I definitely have a bias towards people without traditional marketing marketing backgrounds, which I should <laughs> not say out loud, but is is true that is true, That's I fine. can't deny it. Um, I don't have one myself. I come from the land of food and beverage. Uh, I ran the back of house and kitchens before I moved to the Bay Area, and my journey into the land of technology marketing is 100% driven by food and beverage. Um, my first opportunity was with a beverage startup, and it's been uh, an excellent experience since then. Um, I biased towards hiring people with hospitality backgrounds. And there's actually a reason for this. It's not just because I'm one myself. Um, It's because people with hospitality backgrounds come from a place of enjoying service and being service minded. And Mm -hmm. if you're building uh, a community driven or an authentic storytelling program about the people who are actually changing your industry and using your products as a platform to do that. You have to be service-minded. You have to be willing to let them tell their own story instead of yours. And you also have to be willing to enable them as much as possible to get that done. So I bias towards people who have hospitality backgrounds, who have made a transition into content or some kind of marketing or even journalism. Journalism also, like great, great hires, hire journalists. Uh, They will always get to the truth. So um, (laughs) I'm a a big fan of hiring people with hospitality backgrounds and also ex-journalists.
2: Well, I think uh, in that spirit of people with a great degree of empathy and compassion and and service-oriented, I think we might think about hiring um, some therapists into our content marketing team. That could work as well. What do you think, Randy?
1: I love it. I love it. (laughs) You know, it's it's funny. We actually so we do every year at Uberflip. We do a uh, conference, and we we do it in Toronto. It's happening again this summer around August twenty second, twenty third, and. Last year when we did it, obviously we had a lot of marketers who came out and real thought leaders. But there was a lot of people, to your point, coming from different industries who I think are just curious to get into this, you know, fad of of content marketing, right? And it's um, you know, I, I, fad's probably the wrong word, right? It's I think it's now here to stay. And you know, I, I've seen the same Tyler even when I've come to your event, you know, the the video events that you do around Vidyard. I mean, like you're starting to see people who I think are realizing that these are going to be long-term career opportunities and that it's an opportunity to make that transition. So Claire, maybe you know, just building off all of this, I mean, what are some of the best ways that you've seen those people position themselves for the transition? Because a lot of people listening to this podcast may be saying, "Listen, I want to get into the space," but you know, sometimes it's it's hard for you know the three of us, perhaps as a marketing leader, to say, "Okay, I'm going to take a risk with this person." So, mm-hmm. what is it that you're looking for in people to say, "Okay, this is the person who can make that transition"?
3: That's a great question, actually, um, because I, I approached my own career transition with this in mind, uh, and I think that the people who I Tend to be willing to take risks on are people who have put the work in without guarantee that there was going to be payoff. So if I see, uh, if I have a resume from a chef, but they have a great portfolio online that they didn't necessarily get paid to do, or they were not necessarily uh, incentivized by anything except their own desire to do the thing that they really want to do, that's someone who I will take a risk on. That person who has the hustle and the grittiness to really get it done. Um, and just a commitment to their new craft. That, that's, that's what I want to see from someone. Um, also, I want to see someone who is designing their career. You know, I don't want to just uh, see um, someone who is not trying to take a mentorship or uh, expand their professional network or learn more things or be in classes about emerging content trends. I, I want to see people who are making proactive steps in an intentional way to get where they want to be. Uh, And if I see both of those things, then I will 100% hire that person.
1: Yeah, I I love that. You know, to me, I mean, we're talking about content. So content can be writing, content can be a video. To me, it's the people who who go beyond the traditional resume, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. your your resume shows what you've done, your cover letter or a video story about yourself. Those are the things that talk about where you want to go, right? Mm
3: -hmm. And And also what you can do, I think, is the big thing for me. Uh, Resumes that's a very a great way to put it. They've shown what you've done, but they don't show me what you can do for me in the future. And really that's what I want to see.
1: Couldn't agree more. All right. So at the end of every podcast here, what we try and do is get to know you a little bit more. So we got a few minutes left here and I got a, I got a few things that I think people are going to want to get to know you on. So I'm going to pick up on some of the things you've already even told us. So one was, Food and beverage is the background, right? Original yes. background. So let's, let's start with beverage. We always have to start with a beverage, <laughs> right? So are you more, more of a wine person, more of a beer person, or more of you know, some sort of hard liquor? Like what's, what's your go-to?
3: I mean, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm pretty equal opportunity. But, if, <laughs> but But when given a choice, I'm probably a cocktail kind of person. Um, uh, or a sparkling some suspense wine. there.
1: I was like holding on. I was I, like, I, actually,
3: I was thinking about it. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> but I definitely am. Uh, I do enjoy cocktails quite a bit. Uh, I think that the artisanship there is really interesting. And um, like anybody can pour a glass of wine, but no one, not everybody, can make a really incredible cocktail. Uh, and then I am also a big bubbly girl. I like sparkling everything. Nice.
1: Nice, and and then for for the the main course, what's your favorite cuisine? Favorite cuisine to go to would be
3: completely impossible question.
1: Completely impossible.
3: (laughs) Completely impossible question. Let me let me ask
2: it. Let me (laughs) ask it in uh, in a different way, Claire. What's your favorite cuisine to cook?
3: Ooh, that's a better question. Um, I am pretty great at pizza. Uh, I am a big pizza fan. I worked in a really Really lovely pizza restaurant in San Francisco that does Italian style thin crust artisanal pizza. Um, so I'm definitely a big fan of that. And then I also I uh, I have a trash palette I call it, and um, which means I, I'm Midwestern. I grew up eating a whole bunch of nonsense, and so I like to take things that I uh, ate as a kid and reimagine them. So uh, I don't know if we have time for an example, but I could give you one if you wanted.
1: Yeah, she'd give us okay, a Okay, sure.
3: So, um, my grandmother used to make me hot chocolate pudding with buttered toast on Saturday mornings for breakfast and we'd watch Bob Ross together. Uh, it's a really important part of my childhood. And so I'm right now I'm working on this concept to take that like hot chocolate pudding and butter toast experience and turn it into something a little bit better and less disgusting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so like I've reimagined it with as like a chocolate pot de creme with uh, toasted brioche croutons and a hot chocolate pour-over.
1: Oh, wow. um, you're you're so, legit. All right, you know what you're talking about here. I'm <laughs> a toddler, but I'm intimidated. But I'm hungry. Are, I'm hungry. intrigued to be invited. Yeah. Um, Very cool. Very cool. Okay, so another one I got to ask before we run out of time is you had mentioned being a horse archer. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what that means?
3: So um, I am a horse archer. That means that I run at high speeds on horseback with a bow and arrow, shooting arrows at things. Um, It's uh, actually an international Robin
1: Hood style or is this like?
3: Uh, It's – I, I use a recurve bow. So I guess that's kind of Robin Hood, Hood style. Um, that's actually, in, it's an international sport, but it's generally Asian Asian archery style. So uh, Mongolian and Korean styles of archery. And so I'm not good enough to compete yet, but I will eventually probably compete in a horse archery tournament somewhere in the world. Awesome.
1: All right, last one, pulling it a little bit more back into work. When you're not... Reading, writing, creating your own content, whose content is your go-to? Like, where do you get your fix of something on a daily or weekly basis? Mm,
3: great question. Um, I have been reading the New York Times quite a bit recently, uh, and I've been trying to be more involved in actual real live journalism as opposed to uh, just stealing journalists for my own ends. Um, so definitely a, a big Um, New York Times BBC reader. And also, I I mean, I gotta, I gotta say that the Envision blog is still pretty great. I'm, (laughs) I'm definitely design biased, and I'm interested in staying abreast of what's going on in the design industry. So I do still read the Envision blog quite a bit.
1: That's awesome. So it sounds like it was a real passion project and, and you know definitely shows in terms of the output. Uh, Claire, it's been awesome having you on the podcast and you know great way for us to kick off this season of Content Pros. To remind everyone listening, Content Pros is just one of the podcasts that the Convince & Convert family of podcasts includes. So we encourage you to check out some of the other ones like Business of Story, Social Pros, Influence Pros, and others. Uh, they can all be found at convinceandconvert.com. You can also learn more about uberflip at uberflip.com and vidyard at vidyard.com and of course if you want to find more of these episodes you can go to uh, contentprospodcast.com as well we're found on stitcher on itunes on google play anywhere you can find us and you can leave a review let us know what you like let us know what could be better so we can create better content for you on a daily basis until next time, thanks so much for joining. On behalf of Tyler, Claire, I'm Randy, take care.
0: This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uber Flip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince & Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com.